Welcome to the Savage Pads podcast. It's Vandy week, and we've got a packed show for you all. UGA's all-time leading receiver, Terrence Edwards, will join us to discuss that one time when Musa Smith faked out everyone, including the cameraman, only for David Green to find Terrence wide open behind the Vanderbilt secondary. He'll also share his thoughts on UGA's receiving room going into this season. Then, former Georgia tight end and current Nashville resident Jeb Blazevich will share his favorite spots in the Music City for fans who will be making the trip this weekend. Following Jeb's segment, Savage Pads regular Caleb Gwynn will then return to the show to make predictions for the 2019 season. And you're going to want to stick around for the end of this one as a Felipe Franks roast takes place in the show's final segment with returning guest Corey Amick. We've got a great show coming up. Stay tuned. Practice every day. Man, oh man, mano a mano. He, he definitely six hour mod me and myself, as close as we uh, have right now to rope climb. When we score, I honestly did not know where I was for about five seconds. Early on, you could see with Jake, you know, just like with Fran talking to. Maybe one of the most underappreciated quarterbacks in the country. And we got to keep feeding the running back. I, I don't think we've yet to see the tight ends. I think Georgia does a great job bringing pressure on third down. Turn around two weeks later in the SEC championship, we look like a completely different team, and we made them look like a completely different team. I mean, it's hard to get emotional thinking about it. And it was my job to kind of get outside the corner, and uh, as soon as I let it go, I knew it was good. From that point on, I kind of began to trust the Eric Murray as my quarterback. The team was just special. I was famous. He was onside. Everybody respects his specs. That's what every Georgia fan should hinge their hopes on. Alabama and Georgia are the best two teams in the country. I feel like we are the true running back you. I have great confidence that we're going to see the personification of Georgia football. Welcome to the Savage Pads podcast. UGA's all-time leading receiver, Terrence Edwards, is on the line. Terrence, thank you for joining the show. Oh, Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's Vandy Week, and one of the primary reasons I wanted to have you on this episode was because of a certain play you were a part of in this series As I was preparing the episode, I I was reflecting on some of the greatest plays in Georgia Vandy history. And of course, the first play that came to mind was 44 flatback Ruski. Ruski. Yeah. Terrence, can can you tell us what it took to pull off one of the most deceptive plays in college football history? First of all, that play uh, is timing. Um, As as a play caller, I think Coach Rick had the – the timing down pack to win, um, to call that play. Uh, I think it was maybe third and one, second and one uh, on a rundown. Um, so we're we in a run formation. Um, and we've ran this formation a few times, and I came down and blocked the safety. But this time, I uh, did the exact same motion, coming down with the same <clears throat> uh, speed that I've been coming down with. And I went down and Went to block the safety, broke down, and I let him run by, and I ran by him for uh, I don't even know how long the touchdown was, but uh, everyone, all 11 players had to do their job for this to happen. I mean, if you look at it, Musa did a great job on his face, so did David Green. Yeah. Yeah, if you watch the play, it really looks like Musa is carrying the football. Um, exactly. He got tackled like he was, too. <laughs> so he had, he had to pay the price for that fake, but uh, it ended up being – one of, I mean, most Georgia fans' favorite plays um, in our history. And many great receivers have come and gone, obviously, since that 2002 homecoming game, including yourself. And 
We actually have seen a ton of departures this offseason in particular. Uh, following the departures of Riley Ridley, Miko Hardman, Terry Godwin, and most recently J.J. Holloman, the one position fans are most concerned about offensively this year is wide receiver. As someone who has worked with many of the receivers on this roster, what do you expect from this inexperienced yet talented group in 2019? I expect those guys to go out there and just showcase their talent. Uh, they, they were recruited uh, to come to the University of Georgia for a reason. Uh, mm-hmm. They have very talented guys. Now they just got to go out and prove it. And I tell you know, people all the time, you know, when I played my first year in 1999, I had no experience at the position at all. I came in as a quarterback, switched to receiver, and I led the team in receiving uh, four years straight. So it's just about getting those guys an opportunity to get out and showcase their talent. I mean, I'm I'm the least worried about those guys uh, that's playing. I mean, Tyler Simmons, I think, is going to have a good year. Trey Blunt, Matt Landers, uh, Lawrence Cage. I think those guys are going to go out and show people that they are uh, just as talented as those guys that just left. They just didn't get opportunity last year because you had four guys ahead of them that was that was super talented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned several names there. Which player do you believe – um, is, is best suited to become that red zone target that J.J. Holloman was and that Javon Williams was before him? I think we got two guys. There's um, Matt Landers and Lawrence, Lawrence Cager, two guys that are 6'5", 200, 200 pounds plus. So I think those guys have a significant height advantage at being 6'5", so I think they will have opportunities in the red zone. And I think Charlie Warren at the tight end position is going to have an opportunity to showcase his talent. And uh, man, people may not know this, but I wrote a piece back when Charlie Warner and Isaac Nada came out, and I wrote that uh, Charlie Warner to me would be the better player out of the two because he was a big receiver that was um, he wasn't stiff in the hips as Isaac Nada mm-hmm. is. He he was a, a true receiver that I knew was going to grow into a tight end, but he he has the movements of a big receiver, but he just happened to play tight end. Yeah, I feel like he's the more prototypical tight end as far as his build. Speaking of tight ends, Eric Gilbert's a guy, 2020 player for those of you who aren't familiar. Uh, he's a five-star, and there's there's some interest on his end of playing wide receiver rather than tight end. I know Tennessee is is looking to give him that opportunity. Georgia seems to be pursuing him more as a tight end. What are your thoughts on Eric Gilbert's potential as a wide receiver and, and to be one of those bigger body guys in the red zone? Uh, for those who don't know, I've been training Eric since he was in the ninth grade. And I tweeted out of the day uh, because I've seen a lot of chatter on uh, Twitter and Instagram and a lot of places that, you know, for his, he, he wants to play receiver. And I just tweeted out that this guy is, is a transitional player trans transcendent player because he moves so swiftly as a 180 pound receiver he just in a 65 250 pound body um can he play receiver i don't necessarily think any team is going to pay him strictly at receiver but in today's game as people look at the games uh tight ends are detached from the line of scrimmage 70 percent of the time so they're not in the three-point stand on the line of scrimmage, they're they're in the slot. They're on the outside. A couple years ago, Jimmy Graham had a grievance with the NFL uh, when he got franchise tag that he wasn't a tight end because he didn't. He played 65% of the snaps 
in the slot and in the outside. So he's been trained to play the receiver position. He's just in the tight end's body. Right. Do you think Georgia will, will make a pitch to Eric Gilbert to be more of a Jimmy Graham and less of a Jason Witten type tight end? I think so. I, I think he's he's a guy that is going to be split out. Uh, he's a guy who's going to be in the slot. I mean, that's just the way he's built and the way he's been trained to play. And if uh, whatever school he chooses to go to, he's a mismatch problem for anyone on the field. He's too big for corners. He's too he's too agile for safeties and linebackers. So I, I it, it would behoove any school that he goes to to find places on the field on the field for him to play, and that would that would be in the slot and some on the outside. Right. So so we've talked about these bigger body guys on the current Georgia roster and lost size in J.J. Holloman looking to replace that. But this Georgia team also lost a lot of speed, particularly in Miko Harmon Jr. Based on what you've seen from this current group, what speedster do you expect to produce for Georgia in, in the same fashion that Miko Harmon did? Well, Demetrius Robeson is another guy who may not be as fast as Miko as, as a 4-3-3 guy, but Demetrius Robinson is, is pretty fast himself. So I think uh, Demetrius will take that role as one of the guys who could take the top off um, and, and make it. I mean, he's a bigger guy than Miko, uh, taller and weight-wise. So I think he could take that position that Miko did and, and make it his own this season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've I've definitely been looking forward to seeing him have the opportunity to contribute. Um, another guy that, that I'm really looking forward to seeing, and this is my last question for you, Terrence, um, what do you expect from George Pickens in his freshman season at Georgia? There's been a ton of high expectations based on high school highlights, based on um, some leaked footage from practice. He is a freshman. He is learning the offense, and we have seen Kirby Smart play it slow with receivers in the past. With all that in mind, what are your expectations for George Pickens? I, I just think the guy is just too talented not to play this year. I think he will have a role. Uh, what his role would be, I don't know, but he's just too talented uh, not to see action this year. And I uh, foresee that guy to be – Consider one of the greats if everything goes right, and we all know everything has to go right for staying healthy and um, academically he has to to stay eligible. I mean, everything just he has as long as he's there in a Georgia uniform, I think he is going to be go down as one of the greats to ever play. I think he's just that talented and has that much ability. Mm. Yeah, well, I I look forward to to seeing him play and. Um... Terrence, again, I really appreciate you taking a moment of your time to come on the show and discuss all this with us. Thank you very much. Oh, oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'll be a dog till I die. Till I die. And in part two of our Dog Till I Die segment, we've got former UGA tight end and Rose Bowl champ and Nashville resident Jeb Blazevich. Jeb, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on again. Really appreciate it. Of course. So... I'm coming to Nashville this weekend, and just a little backstory for our listeners. I hit up Jeb and asked him if he was going to be in town this weekend because I know he lives there. And Jeb, what was your answer again? It was something funny. I was like, "Yeah, does a wild bear crap in the woods?" Yes, like, of course it does. Yes, and I made of a comment. I made like a, a comment, a Georgia football related comment that I'm not going to air because. <laughs> just something just for Jeb's sake I'm not going to say it um, and and then we were like yeah well, beautiful we got, rebuttal 
Yeah, yeah. And we were like, well, we got we to gotta meet up one of those nights. And I was going to ask Jeb about places I should go while in Nashville. Then I realized, I'm sure some of our listeners who are making the trip would love to hear that as well. So I was like, let's just record the thing and, and make it a segment on the show. So here we are. And Jeb, Nashville correspondent, now is your time to shine. <laughs> um, all right i'm gonna preface this by saying i don't know a whole lot about a whole lot so go ahead and give me grief for it but i do have some good suggestions okay well tell, so, tell me where i gotta go yeah so obviously this is gonna be centered around food because i like to eat but also it's gonna be how to ball out on a budget because me and my wife are balling out on a budget so oh, you got that risk awesome management spots. budget dude 100 <laughs> percent yeah, you know, we, we gotta we gotta keep some liabilities uh, in check for the future, you know. Right. That's a that's a Terry but, grad, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I would say first and foremost, Baja Burrito. It's like right next to our house, around twelve south. Absolutely amazing. Okay. There's Red Pepper. That's other Mexican. There's Mill Creek Tap Room, debatably best burger in Nashville. Uh, let's see. That's about it. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Those. That's all the restaurants. No, that's not it. All right, Parsons, that's great for chicken. That place is like brand new, but it is absolutely fuego. Okay. Uh, uh, let's see. Well, there's some other good spots. Mazatlan, that's right by Brentwood. It's a little. It's pretty far south of the city, but that's where me and my work uh, comrades always go. Okay. I mean, you'll be. In, it's kind of like La in Athens. I mean, you'll be in and out in like ten minutes. Okay. Um, what what else? What else do we have? Oh, I'm trying to think. There's a free museum at one of the hotels. Um, Jeb, you're not that poor. <laughs> you I'm just saying, to, if you're like trying to kill time, you know that's a great spot to go. You don't have to uh, prove that the Georgia players don't get paid. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> uh, 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 let's see. There's Acme Rooftop Bar. Um, there's the Pearl Diver. That's a swanky little place. There's some nice... Uh, what are they called? The little speakeasies. Oh yeah, those um, are always fun. DeSantos, I believe that's the pizza place. That's absolute fuego. Speaking of which, if you're coming from Atlanta on the way up on I-24, right past Chattanooga, there's a place called uh, Lookout Mountain Winery or something like that. Okay. Turns out we just stopped there one time because a coworker told us about it. The dude grew up next to my cousin in Pittsburgh. Like, how crazy is that? Yeah. Just out of left field. He's like, yeah, I'm from Pittsburgh. I'm like, me too. He's like, what's your last name? I said, Blazevich. He goes, Blazevich? I know that name. I'm like, what? So shameless plug, go see him. Uh, Lookout Mountain Winery. Okay. So like a pregame for Nashville that way. A pregame for the pregame. Yeah, if you're heading up that way, I mean, they have some really good pizza. Don't drink and drive. Don't drink and drive. You can drink and then drive. (laughs) Jeff. You know, just not too much. Yeah, let's just let's just keep it. No drinking and driving. Have someone, you know, designated driver. We got to promote positivity here. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, designated driver. Yeah. Um, well, well, yeah. That's all great, Jeb. I gotta say, I was a little concerned that you were gonna drop the ball here, and part of the reason is because I, I really don't know how you respond when the ball's coming your way, because um, <laughs> we haven't seen it as often as we would like to, and and. Um, You've done a good job. I was I was a little concerned, but you did Man, not, I was sweating fact, there. The I'm ball. still sweating. I, I feel like I really messed up some things. And people from Nashville that have been here and actually visit places are probably gonna fire yeah. me up one time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're you're basically on your rookie contract of life right now. So you know, <laughs> I'm in that same spot. Great way to put it. I'm, I mean the podcast is um, 
you know, not making me a millionaire yet. So we'll get there. Yeah. We'll both get there. Yeah. We'll get there. Um, <laughs> sure. Well, I guess since you're on here, we might as well talk about football. And uh, since you're a tight end and, and uh, you played with, with Jackson and then Isaac and then now, now Charlie, who's, who's there now, um, what, what, what are your thoughts on, on Charlie going into the season now that he's kind of the guy finally? Man, I'm extremely hopeful. I think he's going to have the best career um, out of the other three, me, Jackson, and Isaac, that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because, uh, let's be real, Chaney's gone. So that's huge for him and stats in the tight end position. And I think Charlie's one of the most just athletic guys I've ever seen. I mean, it, it doesn't always look pretty. You know, he loves to slide. We always give him grief about that. But, I mean, I've seen him hurdle guys. I've seen him fly down the field super fast, super big. He can just kind of make his body do what he wants. And uh, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I think he's going to have a stellar year, kind of a breakout season, nice senior campaign. Yeah, I, I've heard several people close to the program mention that this this could be the year we finally use the tight end. Do you think that James Coley is going to bring a different approach based on your experience with him as opposed to Jim Chaney? Yeah, I definitely think so. At the very least, I think he brings that extra you know, attitude and, and uh, experience to the passing game. All I remember is in the spring game one year, Jackson Harris caught like 16 passes over the middle. NFL player Just something Jackson stupid. Harris, by the way. NFL player Jackson Harris. Yeah, don't you forget it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, I think he's going to – hopefully my hope is instead of having the running back do a little swing out and that be the check down, be able to utilize the tight end and that – five to 15 yard gap be able to have him hit the holes and go ahead and turn it upfield while also utilizing the the running backs in terms of the pass pro and, and really being able to sell that run fake uh since they're going to do their job so well just go ahead and have them leak out through the a gap somewhere but I, I think charlie's going to be able to get stretch the field get down there i think he's going to be able to find the gaps and i think he's going to be uh, one of the best all-around tight ends that um we've had here lately yeah behind number 83 oh 100% yeah make sure you let them know <laughs> yeah. yeah all right Jeff. Wish, man <laughs> yeah well hey I know I know you're slammed guys for those of you that don't know Jeb was very gracious to come on the show he's had a crazy work week and uh this kind of came together last minute but Jeb I, I want to let you go there really appreciate you coming on the show thanks so much Doug really appreciate you man yep all right now I've got our weekly correspondent Caleb Gwynn back on the show Caleb welcome back Hey, man, how's it going? It's so good to be back. Dude, can you believe it's football season? I can't. Honestly, it has not flown by. I was about to say it's flown <laughs> by, but that would be that would be a lie because, yeah. I mean, I've, I've enjoyed a little bit of uh, Braves baseball and stuff like that, but boy, it was seeing Florida and Miami play, even though it's Florida, it was just good to see some football. Yeah, and like, I know, I know you're like this because you're like me, and I'm like a little kid on Christmas Eve right now. Like, I just... It's about to be here, and unlike Christmas, it's not a one-day thing. Like we got several months of Georgia football ahead of us. Yeah, even being you know a great team, honestly, the first you know couple weeks of the season is always my favorite. Just knowing that we have so much left. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> beginning of the season is my favorite. Yeah, and another thing that's exciting about it is I feel like every year the first game happens, and you just wake up that morning. And all of a sudden, it goes from being like 110 degrees and 100% humidity to like this cool, crisp fall air. 
and it's football season outside. It's not fall. It is football season. And it's football season. So I want to begin the season the, the way we ended last season by making some predictions that may or may not come true very often. Um, but I, I just want to hop right in. Offensive breakout player, Caleb, who, who do you have for this one? Um, this is a guy that I've been a huge fan of um, even when he was up at Cal. I, I'm going to have to go with D-Rob. D-Rob. Um, he's just, I think, I think being in a full year on Kirby's system, um, learning how to be physical, learning how to block downfield and things like that, uh, I think he's always been talented enough and skilled enough to to do the things that we want him to do. I think Kirby just wanted him to be more physical and um, ready. Um, and I think this year kind of lines up for him to be able to do that. Um, so I'm really, I've always been excited about his talent and just to see what he can do. So, yeah. So I'm going to go with D Rob. Yeah. My guy is, is James cook sophomore. Um, people forget he, he was being talked about a lot this time last year and he had several injuries that, that slowed him down. We still saw a glimpse of, of what he's capable of in, in certain games last year. He's a guy that's put on some weight. He's a speedster. I have the feeling that we're going to get him the ball in space. We're going to be creative with him and that he's really going to be a game breaker for us this year. The reason I didn't pick D-Rob is because historically Georgia has spread the ball out so much among receivers. And this year we have so many guys that could break out at receiver that I couldn't pick one. I think George Pickens could. Uh, one of our fans on, on Instagram put, because we put out a little a little poll, um, and he said Matt Landers would. Um, I've seen Tyler Simmons. I've seen pretty much all the receivers as potential breakouts, which is great. It's great to have all that talent. And not to say we're not loaded at running back, because we obviously are. It's not like Cook's going to steal the number one job. But I do think he's the kind of guy that can be used like a Miko Hardman and then kind of like how Swift was used as a freshman. That's what I'm going with. What about defense, Caleb? Who you got? Mm, defense, I really think um, to be uh, a championship team, we have to put pressure on the quarterback as something that we haven't been like outstanding at the past couple of years. But I think I think an Aziz Ojolari um, or an Adam Anderson, but I'm just going to – just to choose one, I'm going to go with Ojolari. I've heard a lot of really good things about him, just yep. how he's uh, – um, stood out out of all the talent that we have at defensive and outside linebackers, just unreal, the talent. And for him to come out and really hear most of the good stuff out of him is, is saying something. So I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with him getting a lot of sacks and a lot of pressures on the quarterback. Yeah. That's actually who I picked as well for the same reasons. Another thing I've heard about Aziz that excites me is I've heard he's a class act. I heard he, he, has a great work ethic, one of the hardest workers on the team, and that he does things the right way off the field. And to me, that's something, if you look at the guys who have become the the big NFL stars, I think that's a, a quality that a lot of them have. Obviously, at linebacker, um, Tom, Thomas Davis is one that comes to mind. But I would love to see Aziz break out. A couple other people have picked outside linebackers um, on, on the Instagram poll that we put out. Adam Anderson's one we've seen. He's a guy going into last year that I was very high on, and nothing's changed. I mean, the only thing that's changed is he's gotten bigger and stronger. So mm. he's definitely one to look out for. DJ Daniel, uh, Wes Jackson put him on his post on Instagram uh, as his breakout player, and there are rumors that that he's really pushing Tyson Campbell here for the starting job. 
opposite Eric Stokes, my guy. And that actually brings me to defensive MVP. I'll start with mine since I just said his name. It's Eric Stokes. I think that lockdown corner is so crucial in the SEC, especially when you're going up against a team like Bama in the SEC championship. And with Georgia, with what's happened in the last two years, for me, it's all about what players are most important for us getting over the hump against them. I think you absolutely have to have a guy like Eric Stokes out there. I know he's he's maybe not regarded as a lockdown corner at the moment, but I do think he has a very similar skill set to DeAndre Baker, and I expect big things from him. Mm. Yeah, I when when kind of going through the uh, the defensive MVP, I kind of thought of him, uh, Richard LeCount, and yeah. the yeah. nose guard uh, Jordan Davis. But I had to go with LeCount just because of the experience, and I think the leadership is the biggest thing mm-hmm. um, when you look at who's kind of like running the defense, I would, I would look at LeCount as being, you know, one of the top guys that's running the defense. And I think, um, if anything that, uh, his leadership down the stretch and towards, towards the postseason um, could really like be a game changer for where the team goes. Absolutely. And I think LeCount's one of those guys that looking back after this season, we could say that he was our breakout player and that he was our MVP Mm-hmm. Not to say that he's not already established as a starter or anything like that, but it feels like he's just begun to scratch the surface of his potential. And a lot of times you'll see a guy in their junior year, Roquan Smith's a great example, go from a very good player to just absolutely incredible. Really hoping to see that. All right, let's talk about the Heisman. Um, I'll just tell you right now, my my three finalists that, that I'm going to pick are Tua, Tonga Vailoa, uh, Trevor Lawrence, of course, and Jalen Hurts, and I have Trevor Lawrence winning the whole thing. Who do you have, Caleb? Yeah, you have to have Lawrence and Tunga Vailoa up there. Right. Um, I kind of, I kind of wanted to go just with something different because um, I mean that's what you hear Lawrence and and Tua. So I'm gonna, I do have to put Lawrence up there at, at winning, winning it all. But not going off stats or anything. But I just feel like Tua. Um, is not durable enough. I mean, and this is, you know, kind of a hot take, but sure. I did not put Tua in there. So, um, I actually put, um, from and Herbert, the quarterback from, uh, Oregon. Yeah. But yeah, I think Lawrence is by far the guy and two there's by no means Tua could, could take it all as well. Yeah. And the reason I don't have a from or a Deandre Swift in mind is not because I don't think they're the same caliber of player as some of those other guys, but more so because of Georgia's schedule and their offense and their team. Um, A guy like DeAndre Swift, if he were getting the ball 30 times a game, would be having 200, 250-yard games. Well, we've got five high-quality running backs that are going to be splitting carries. And in the past, with Todd Gurley, with... Nick Chubb with Sony Michelle, it's made it difficult for one of our running backs to really be a Heisman contender. And it, it does not speak to their potential or their performance, but rather to the um, depth that we have and how mm. some of those big plays are spread out among multiple players. With Fromm, it's really just that there are not that many games where we need our quarterback to be making big time plays and big time throws to win games. So it feels like we get up and we start just wearing teams down in the run games. A few others that are sleepers to me, I do think Justin Fields 
could be considered a contender because Ohio State will likely be a playoff contender and often the best player or the quarterback on the team that's in the mix um, is a Heisman candidate. And as long as they're winning football games, I think Justin Fields will be in the mix. Jacob Eason's another one. I think Washington is a dark horse to make the playoff. Uh, maybe that's a hot take. Maybe not. But I do think he's he's been overlooked because of sitting out for a while. And I think he could be due to surprise the world this year. And that brings us to college football playoff. Straight up, mine. I hate this, but the four teams I picked are the exact number one through four. Maybe not in that order, um, but I do think Clemson pretty much has a cakewalk unless there are significant injuries on that team. I do think Alabama and Georgia, uh, I think it's very likely that both of those teams are one loss or less at the end of the season. Oklahoma is my third one. I do think Texas has a legitimate shot here. I do not think the Sugar Bowl was as much of a fluke as everyone acted like. I do think they're a legitimate team. And I would not be surprised if the winner of that series, because they're likely to play twice, makes the playoff. Caleb, who do you have in your college football playoff? Yeah, I have uh, a Clemson, Georgia. And again, I'm kind of going off of just the – a bit of a hot take here sure. um, with Texas, Texas at three. And then I actually have Oregon getting in there Whoa. Um, with Herbert. I know it's, it's a little bit weird coming out of my mouth, but I, I'm looking at their schedule and they have, they have four very winnable games of highly ranked teams. Um, and if they could pull that off, I think that resume will speak a lot. And if, you know, some wacky things happen with the, as the championship, maybe Alabama falling to a weird one. Um, I think that could very well happen. So I figured might as well throw it down there and just see what happens with it. So, yeah, absolutely. A couple dark horses I want to throw out there. We did this last year. I think the winner of Ohio State, Michigan has a real shot, especially if Georgia or Alabama finishes with two losses after the SEC championship game. Obviously, more people are going to think that team would be Georgia with two losses. We hope that's not the case. But if that were to occur, I do think the winner of Ohio State Michigan has a legitimate shot. People tend to forget about Michigan because they've fallen short so many times. But we've seen in years past, I mean Clemson was that team at one point. At some point they got over the hump. It's possible that they do it. I'm not saying I think they will. I do think they're a dark horse to make the playoff. Texas, like I mentioned, and Washington, as I mentioned before, uh, I think Jacob Eason He's a great quarterback. I think he's in a perfect offense for his skill set, and I think their schedule can be favorable um, for them to to win a lot of football games. I want to move into our pick six and extra point segment. Now, little adjustment on this one. There weren't enough interesting games this week for me to really do a full pick six. So what we normally do, uh, for those of you that don't know, is we pick six football games, and then as the extra point, we pick the score for the Georgia game. This week, we're just going to pick one game. Don't want to waste time with with a bunch of boring games. Number 11, Oregon versus number 16, Auburn. I'll go ahead and say who I'm picking. I'm picking Auburn. I think it's because of their defensive line. I think they tend to be more physical than the non-conference opponents that they play. Uh, Examples of that, as I mentioned, were Oregon the first time, Louisville, Washington, feel like I see it every year. Outside of Clemson, they're more physical than than any of the non-conference teams they've played, and I think that's going to be the difference for them. Who do you have, Caleb? Yeah, obviously since I got Oregon in the playoffs, um, oh, yeah. I got Oregon here. 
Um, really, for this game, I think I think it'll take Oregon a little, you know, a few games to really get on track and start playing like a, a really good team. But I think they beat Auburn here because they have the uh, the freshman quarterback Bo Nix. He's going to be thrusted into mm. a serious um, atmosphere that he's not used to. I'm not saying he's not going to be a good quarterback i do think he's really talented and could in eventually be a, a really good quarterback but sure. first game um yeah i think i think um he's gonna make some mistakes that will turn into an oregon win i would love to see it i i feel like i always pick auburn to be better than they end up being it's not that i'm scared of, of their roster or their coach or, or anything like that it's because i live in alabama and i hear auburn people talking all the time so i sort of overhype them myself so that it's extra fun if they fall and if they're really good i'm like yeah i mean everyone knew they were going to be amazing you're just kind of ready for it yeah and, <laughs> yeah and i just play it down to everyone else I'm like, well, yeah we totally expected that um even though we never do so <laughs> yeah. yeah i think auburn's going to be incredible um extra point of course number three georgia at vanderbilt i'm going to be at this one i went with you to this one last time it was in nashville uh it's my understanding you're not going to make it this time but, Caleb, I do want to hear your score prediction, and it better not be the same as mine. <laughs> Probably will be because that's how it went last year. But, um, yeah, I do remember going to that Vandy game last year. That was a that was a fun trip. But um, the Jeez, I'm going to go with two years ago. Yeah, two years ago. Um, 52 to 10. Sweet. And uh, I think – yeah, I think we'll have a fun one on this. I think it'll, it'll start out slow as, you know, first game of the season always does, just kind of getting the first hit and just, you know, the start of the season just kind of wacky like that. But I think we uh, get rolling in the third and fourth quarter and just kind of run the score up. Yeah. I think the game will go similarly. I would not be surprised for it to start slow. I wouldn't even be surprised at the end of the first quarter for people to be getting anxious, television start saying upset alert, that kind of thing. Um, just because it, it does take a while to, to get in a rhythm. And Vanderbilt has some talented players. I, mean, I think they have three All-SEC players on their offense. So I actually have Georgia winning 42-17. to 17. I could see Vanderbilt scoring early. It's one of those situations where either quarterback could play. Uh, there's no way to be 100% prepared in that first game of the year. I could see the Georgia defense struggling early. Um, and by struggling, I don't mean in extreme ways like the Oklahoma game two years back, but you know, and enough for Vanderbilt to be getting points on the board, um, and then us to figure it out and and run away with it in the second half. I do think it'll be one of those second halves where we just wear them down with our offensive line and our running game, and uh, see see Georgia plow through them. I do expect a pretty conservative offensive coordinator game. And I think we see that often early in the year, and I fully expect some complaints about the lack of aggression. Could be surprised. I'm not watching James Coley. It'll be interesting to see him as a play caller. I actually think we're going to be playing everything close to the chest um, until some of our bigger games later in the year. Right, yeah. I'm expecting that as well. Um, I am interested to see um, how Coley does things because everything you hear is kind of that he's a the run and gun just like yeah throwing the ball over the place but i do agree with you like i think i think the way kirby goes into the games like this is to get as much practice and to see as much mm -hmm. as you can without giving anything up yeah but i'm very much looking forward to it and uh for those of you going to vanderbilt this weekend uh please have a safe trip i will be there um if you see a guy really enjoying himself and 
that looks overly excited that it's college football season. There is a small chance that it's me because there will be a lot of those guys, but it could be. So say hey and <laughs> say hey, Doug, and maybe it's me. And if it is, I'll say, oh my gosh, you're one of the like one of the people that listen to the podcast. This is crazy. Um, <laughs> that's never really happened. So it'd be really cool. Just say it to every guy until you meet me. I'd love to meet y'all. Um, but Caleb, th- <laughs> thanks for thanks for joining us, man. It's so good to be back, man. Thanks. All right, now it is time for our new segment, Savage Pads Savagery, with Corey Amick, last year's guest. What's up, Corey? What's up, Dag? Not much, man. I, I just wanted to introduce you as one of the most savage people I know. Uh, Corey knows how to roast people, and in this segment, on a consistent basis, we plan to roast Georgia's rivals, which right now, Florida's making it easy for us. You see that game the other day? Yeah, that was a... Uh... That was probably the purest form of a week zero game we could ask for. Yeah, I wanted to read some of Felipe Frank's post-game quotes to you and and hear your thoughts on them. One of my favorite quotes with, I believe it was Maria Taylor, um, was, this is the quote. I just just love to win. Winning is my ultimate goal in, in life, not even just football. Now, we know Felipe Franks is elite, but do you, Corey, as a former Tennessee fan, think he has what it takes to be a champion of life? That's a tough one, Doug. So Felipe, at first glance, doesn't seem like someone your grandma would look at and say, that's a that's a champion of life right there. Um, he sort of reminds me of those singing asparagus from VeggieTales. Um, so I think you have to look back at the criteria that Butch Jones required um, from his players in order to meet that champion of life status. So um, in 2016, they went four and four in conference play, um, with a forty-nine to ten loss to Bama and a forty-five to thirty-five loss to Vanderbilt. So I think if Felipe can somehow lead this year's Florida team to a four and four conference record, I think he's on the right track. Uh, we also can't forget that in order to truly embody the champion of life mentality, I think Dan Mullen needs to be even angrier than he was last year with Derek Mason during that Vanderbilt game in order to motivate Felipe to the level. Uh, of being a champion of life. If not, I think Felipe always has a, a career um, with a live action Veggie Tales that you know I'm sure will happen someday. Yeah. Uh, another quote that I liked was, "I don't even know. I was just in my zone. I don't even. I just. I, I." So I actually think he mixed up his pronouns here. I think he okay. he was in the heat of the moment in that interview, and he meant they was just in my zone. <laughs> they being Miami's secondary. Um, right. So I think that in order to simplify the playbook for Felipe this year, after his performance last season, uh, Florida's coaching staff basically just gave Felipe four zones on the field that he throws the ball to. So okay. it doesn't require reading coverage or using checkdowns or anything like that. He literally just has to throw the ball into one of those four zones and hope for the best. Um, and so to my knowledge, those four zones are deep, left, other left, and press R3 to throw the ball away. Yes. he's. I will say he's got a beautiful deep ball, and you see it go out of his hand, and you're like, man, that thing is a beauty. And and it feels like every time 10 yards in front of the receiver, or <laughs> my favorite, 10 yards out of bounds, and the receiver will go try to catch it anyway. It's a, it's a floor staple. I think probably my, probably my favorite moment of that game was um, following that second pick in the fourth quarter when – they panned up to Spurrier and you can just see Spurrier sitting there and 
fully knowing if he had a visor that he probably would have knocked Felipe Franks out with that visor from, you know, the nosebleeds. Yes, that was a definitely a meme moment. Uh, and I know you're a big meme guy. I'm a big meme guy. <laughs> uh, we'll be using that one frequently this season. So following that, Felipe threw a pick that should have blown the game if Miami had any semblance of an offensive line. They win the game, and then Felipe acts like they just won the Super Bowl. Goes full Dwayne Wade, punts the football into the crowd, which was just quality television. I honestly was impressed with the actual punt because unlike some of the passes, it actually went where he intended for it to go, and that was to the crowd. This begs the question, do you think Felipe Franks can pull a Bryce Ramsey and become a punter? I think the best way to tackle this one, Doug, is to look at the stat book from a few years ago. So okay. Bryce averaged almost 41 yards a punt in 2015. Okay. And that same year, he averaged about eight yards per completion. So last season, Felipe averaged around seven yards per completion. And I'd say his punt into the crowd was no more than 35 yards. So I'm no mathematician, but basing it solely off those proportions with no other data, I would say he would not be as good of a punter as Bryce. Um, And then if you want to look at Florida's depth chart, Florida's starting punter, Tommy Townsend, was actually originally recruited by none other than Butch Jones. So I would say that that means Tommy Townsend has that champion of life quality. Yes. And I do not think that Felipe would be able to take out a guy like Tommy um, or take any snaps away from him. So unfortunately, as much as I'd like to see the switch, I think um, Florida will continue to start Felipe at quarterback, which will actually prove beneficial to pretty much every team they play this year. Yeah. Felipe, if he did make the transition to punter, he could be the first punter in the Heisman conversation because going into the season, he has some kind of Heisman odds that people have talked about. I'm not sure exactly the number, uh, but I'm sure it's a bigger number than he can count to. One last Felipe quote, and this is one that you brought to my attention the other day. Felipe said, you know, we weren't always consistent at times. Uh, what is he saying here? So I think let's break this this little phrase down word by word. So we have, we are always consistent at times. And in in the live interview post game, there, there was no comma there before time. So it was just, we're always consistent at times. Okay. So when you break down those words okay. that are that are put together, you see we're always consistent. So you look at a word like consistent, and you know that that pretty much means it's happening over and over again. It's something that you see frequently. Um, you see the word always, and always pretty much doubles down on consistent. Like it's happening over and over again, and that is the case flat out. So you look at those that those beginning three words, and you're like, man, Florida's got it together this year. And then Felipe slides in that at times. And if you think about it, it was probably the most accurate statement he could have said. Because there were times during that game where I would say they had it consistent. I'd say that long touchdown pass he threw, that looked pretty consistent. But I would say that was at that one point in time. And so I think what Felipe did uh, was a beautiful PR move to to tell the truth. Because I don't think he's a lying man. Um, But... I don't know if the media quite caught it. So Florida is always consistent at times, and I think we can hold Felipe to that this whole year. Yeah, well, we all hope that they uh, maintain the consistency as far as the level of play that they brought to the Miami game on Saturday. And that wraps up the segment. Corey, thank you again for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Doug. Horns down. 
And that wraps up this first episode of the season. Dog fans, we truly appreciate you listening, and we especially appreciate those of you who share the show with other dogs around the country. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Savage Pads for more content throughout the season. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on the streaming platform of your choice. Again, safe travels to those of you who are making the trip this weekend, and go dogs. Oh, and here's a little bonus bit from my interview with Jeb for those of you that stuck around. Hold on. Addie was yelling at me. Addie, what, what suggestion did you say? Oh, she said baked on eighth. What's that? Addie knows all the dessert places. <laughs> oh, wait. Do we need to get her on? Jeb Blazevich's wife, everyone. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, we could. I feel like she would. No, you don't, you don't have to do uh, that. Okay, yeah. She would probably not want that either. Yeah, Baked on 8th is right next. You do need to go there. Okay. Uh, what's the other place say? Five Daughters Bakery. No, Dozens Bakery, she said. Dozens Bakery. Okay. What are you doing Saturday, by the way? 